let me just punctuate, as Hans said, and you'll hear more of this, there's no way, and this is a strong statement, so listen to it this way, there's no way for you to achieve what God has built you to be if you're not connected in some kind of small group Bible ministry, Bible study, because you need the body of Christ to achieve the work of Christ. And you're going to get fed in our main sanctuary today. You know we have unrivaled Bible teachers who serve us there. You get fed in places like this. But this is still a big group. And some of the things that happen as a Christian cannot happen in a group like this. They have to happen in the context of relationship. And relationship requires a measure of proactivity on your part. You have to be intentional. And in larger churches especially, it doesn't just happen. So part of the burden is on you to be proactive, and part of the burden is on us to be proactive to pursue and invite. And this is part of our proactivity. It's not sufficient, but it's certainly an element to say, please, as the Bible studies roll out this fall, resolve as a couple or as an individual, say, you know what, we're going to get engaged. We're going to meet people. We're going to lend who we are to their growth, and we're going to trust God to lend who they are to our growth so that this can be the best journey and season spiritually that you've had. And that happens in community. We need one another. Can you say amen to that? Okay, we're in an isolated culture. You know, we pull into the garage. We pull out of the garage. We may wave at a neighbor You're waving at one another on Sundays, except for the fellowship that we kind of gather in between things. But uh, I want to encourage you as one of your pastors to identify that as a priority. So I'm going to do that. And it's not going to be easy, but we have great people that lead those studies and will more than be happy to welcome you in it. Okay? All right, we're back in the uh, epistle of James. Um, And you have a little three-by-five card, and if you're new to us... My conviction as one of your regular teachers is to disciple from the front. It's not just to teach you things, it's to help you live things. And that's really the centerpiece of the section we're in today in James chapter 1. James is called the just. He's the half-brother of Jesus Christ. This book was written very early, most likely the oldest book you have in your New Testament. It was written to early converts to Christianity who were dispersed by persecution. And James, as the pastor of the church at Jerusalem and the half-brother of Jesus, converted because, most presumptively, because he benefited from a resurrection appearance from his resurrected Lord, James is the leader of the church. He's the spokesperson, and he is a prophetic spokesperson. He's a prayer. He was called Camel Knees. Uh, He was called the bulwark of the people. He had regular access to the temple, and he was known for praying on behalf of God's covenant people. He was a prayer, and he was a preacher. This book is a practical call from James to the early converted church to live like a Christian ought to live and to think like a real Christian ought to think. So the big theme of the book of James, and we began this some months ago now, back really at the beginning of the the year, the theme of this book is real Christianity, genuine faith, the lifestyle and convictions of a biblical Christian. Because saying you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. The argument of James is saving faith works. It has validating works. 
You don't get saved because you work. You get saved and by necessity, you validate your salvation by the life you live, the choices you make, the convictions and lifestyle of a Christian is Christian. And so what James argues, the second chapter, which is kind of the core of this book, is you say you have faith, show me your faith by your what? Works. Your faith, when it works, listen to this, this is also in chapter 2, when your faith, when it's working, works your faith. It grows your faith. So what you do displays your faith and matures your faith. The way you grow in grace is to live your faith. That's what it means when when it says in Abraham's faith was working with his works maturing him. The only way you mature as a Christian is to live your faith, the exercise of your faith. So this is the work that genuine faith expresses. It's how a Christian lives. It's 108 verses, 60 imperatives. An imperative is, you need to do this. If you say you're a Christian, this is what a Christian does. Really not offering you an option. This is what you do. It is 16 sections of real Christianity. This is how real Christianity manifests itself. So this is the lifestyle and convictions of a biblical Christian. This is after the diaspora, the being disseminated like seed because of the persecution of the empire. Christians are all over the world, and they need to live in a compelling way because of the quality and reality of their Christianity. And here's what the good news is. The good news is you're in a fallen world in a, in a world that needs to see faith lived out, not just spoken and declared, but demonstrated. Part of the reason people say they don't want anything to do with what we say we are is because they don't see the validating evidence of that. It's not compelling because they can't see it. And that's what James is about. So this is how real Christians live out their real faith. So let's go to James chapter 1, and we're going to jump in and do a couple of things today, kind of getting us out of the gate. If you've been here a while, you know that what I just said is consistent with what has been said before. If you're new to us, that gives you a little bit of a context. I'm going to invite you to verse 19, and we're going to read through verse 27, chapter 1. Now, the first section, real Christianity, is verses 1 through 18 of chapter 1. And if I were going to articulate what those verses summarized as real Christianity, it would sound like this. Real Christians deal with difficulty differently than non-Christians and successfully. They deal with external difficulty, trials, different than a person who doesn't know God would deal with them. They deal with material difficulty, poverty or prosperity, both challenges. And they deal with internal difficulty, temptation, differently. So chapter 1, 1 through 18 is real Christianity, genuine faith, is proven by how it deals with difficulty, how it handles it, counting it all joy, dealing with temptation, identifying where it comes from and overcoming it because you realize how it works. Thinking correctly, if you're financially enriched, you think correctly, you realize how temporal you are. If you're financially challenged, you realize how eternally rich you are. You think right. You deal with your difficulty. Now, verses 19 through verse 27 
I would consider the big idea to be this idea. Real Christians proactively seek the word of truth and apply the word of truth. Real Christians proactively seek the word of truth, and maybe another word, diligently apply the word of truth. And if I'm going to add another statement to that, and not just enthusiastically learn the truth. Don't just be a hearer. That's an enthusiastic learner. Be a diligent doer. And the little section we're going to start this paragraph with today is, and proactively seek it. Okay, so we're going to do a couple of things. I'm going to read the paragraph, highlight what I'm going to call the priority, and then we're going to spend the balance of our time, me offering you a practice that'll promote the realization and living out of the priority of this paragraph. All right, so let's read it together. Follow with me. Verse 19, real Christians, James declaring what a real Christian does. This you know my beloved brethren. But let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now stop and look up for a minute. What is it that they know? Because the whole predication of this paragraph and the explanation and challenge, exhortation, that James is about to offer is rooted in a conviction that they have. Let's travel up a couple of verses. Verse 17. And 17 and 18 are really highlights punctuating the fact the reason trials aren't bad is because a good God sovereignly rules over the trials. He's a good gift giver by nature every day. So though my life may be difficult, it's not because a good God isn't sovereignly ruling to use difficulty to his glory and my advantage. So this is a punctuation of the nature of God that is to encourage you in the midst of difficulty, whether it's inward or outward. Tells you why that God couldn't be sending a destructive temptation. It's not his nature, nor is it aligned with his purpose. So verse 17, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, that's the heavenly bodies, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Meant to say he doesn't change like the planetary objects change, whether it's the shadows they cast or the place they are in the heavens. He doesn't change. It's fact. God is immutable. How is God? A generous giver, good giver every day. He rules the heavens and he rules your life. He's good. Trust him. Verse 18. Here's his purpose. In the exercise of his will, something he wanted to do, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth, that's born again, transformation, by the word of truth. Now, the key words in this text is not just what God did, but the means by which he did it. Okay, so if you're highlighting in your Bible, you want to highlight the word of truth. By the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Purpose so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. First fruits were the first and the best of the crop brought in honor of the one who had given the harvest. So it was a worship act. So when God, by the exercise of his will, sovereignly, 
by his electing choice. I'm not going to be able to walk around here. It's hard for me to stay static. So by the exercise of his will, he sovereignly said, I'm going to transform you. I'm going to bring you forth. I'm going to... I'm going to cause you to be born again, change from the inside out. I'm going to provide life, eternal life in you. You're a new creation. And the purpose of that creating act, that regenerating act, is so that your life will be a worship expression to the glory of the God who gave that life. You're the first, Jesus is the firstborn. You are in like kind, first fruits. You express the glo- to the glory of God a worship act by how you live. And that began been when you were what? Changed by the word of truth. If you want one title for this kind of instruction or lesson this morning, it's changed by the truth and changing by the truth. Changed and changing by the truth. The big idea is... God changed you supernaturally by the electing providence of his will. He made you, he brought you forth to be a worship expression. How is that going to be realized? That's what this paragraph is about. Emphasis, the word of truth. That's what you know. The word of God changed you. A good God providentially birthed you through that word. And because you know that, by way of conviction, this is what ought to happen. That's this paragraph. So if you buy into that, which you should, it's going to call you beloved brothers. If you buy into that, this is the actions you need to take. If the word of God changed me, the word of God is the focal point and priority to continue to change me, to become what I'm supposed to be. That's the connection contextually. Verse 19, this you know. What do you know? That. This you know, my beloved brethren, which is a way of saying, because I love you, and you know this, I'm going to exhort you to some things. You've got three imperatives that are coming. So of the 60 times he says, you got to do this, here's three of them. This you know, verse 19, everyone, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted. See the word implanted? You got the quick to hear. You could ask yourself, we're going to talk about it in a minute. Hear what? Hear the word of truth that changed you so that you can keep on changing because you're not a finished work. That's reinforced by how many times you're going to see the word noted here. With humility, receive the word. What word? The word of truth, which is able to save your souls, rescue, transform, not just from eternal death, but from the uh, effect of sin, which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of what? The word. What word? The word of truth that changed you. Let it keep on changing you. Verse 22, not merely hearers, that's enthusiastic listeners, who delude themselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Verse 25, feel this emphasis. But one who looks intently at the perfect law. What is the perfect law? The word of truth. Whoever looks intently at the perfect law the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, which is living out the word, but deceives his own heart, the man's religion is what? Worthless. Because the word lived out is validation that my faith is legitimate and my religion is legitimate. This is pure, verse 27, undefiled religion. In the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Real Christianity proactively pursues the word of truth. Why? So you'll change. Real Christianity not only pursues the truth to know it, but it diligently seeks to apply it. Because that's the goal. That's what real religion does. And anything else is delusion. It's deception. It's worthless. So as a Christian, in the spirit of discipleship today, for you to become what you were brought forth to be, it required the word of truth Not just that day when you heard it, believed it, and were changed inside out, but today, so that you continue to grow into a first fruit that honors the Lord, for that's why he saved you. This is about a proactive pursuit to become the Christian God wants you to be as you employ the word of God practically. As we come back together next week, we'll press in a little harder. What does it mean to be a doer of the word? I want to give you the priority today, and then I want to offer you a practice. Right out of the gate, month of August, I want to challenge you with a method that will help you achieve the purposes of God as a person changed by the word of God. All right, so let's, let's take your card, and here's what I want you to do with it. I want you to write verses 19 and 20 on your card. If you have a writing instrument or borrow one, give yourself some room. Write the verse out. I'm going to give you a method to employ, and we're going to employ that method in verses 19 and 20. That's how much ground we're going to cover today. Two verses. Surprise anybody? No. I meant that kind of sarcastically (laughs) because Harry the preacher doesn't tend to go very fast. But to me, the details are enriching. Right, so write the verse out. Give yourself some room so that you can circle words and write things beside those words. Two verses, 19 and 20. This you know. What do you know? We just talked about what you know. The word of God changes you, and it continues to change you. Because it's the change means or tool you're to live this way. 
to fulfill the purposes of God. That's what you know. All right, everybody good? Close? I'm watching you write. Some are slow. It's okay. All right, so trusting that you've made some progress. You've got the verses written out in front of you. Now let's walk through the implication of these verses because what you're going to do is be a proactive hearer who's seeking to become a diligent doer. A hearer in the text is a word for auditor. So it's not just a person who sits at the back of the class, has their iPhone open while the instruction's going on. They're not talking to their neighbor. They've actually chosen to be there in the place of teaching, and they're a note-taker. That's a hearer, an auditor. At the university where I serve, you have some students who pay real money to sit in the class but don't take a test. They're not held accountable for what they're learning, but they want to be there so much they're taking notes because they want to learn. That's a hearer. That's a proactive listener. But this verse says you need to be more than motivated to learn it, you need to be diligent to do what? Do it. Because knowing it and not doing it is insane. That's the word paralegizomai for delusional. You're outside of reason. You're alongside. Whatever reason is, you're not in it. You're alongside of it, but you're not in it. All right, verse 19. Here's a method to deploy in order to be a doer and a hearer. Verse 19, we're going to practice together. This you know, circle the word know. Now, some of you are grammatically inclined. Some of you are thankful you got through grammar. Okay, you're just thankful. Somehow you made it through. In the Greek language, this is called a perfect tense. A perfect tense normatively means this is something that has happened and continues to have ongoing effect. So when he says, you know this, it's something you know by conviction. And it continues to drive the behavior of your life's choices because it has continuous effect. So it didn't just happen that you learned that the word of truth changes people, but it has ongoing implication. It's not just a conviction, it's a lived out conviction. So when James, and it's an imperative, okay? An imperative means you know this and you need to live like you know this. He's not pointing out a fact. He's actually using a fact to motivate out of love for you. Because you know this, there's some things you need to do, all right? So you've circled the word know. It means to understand by perception. Somebody has taught you. You've gotten it. You've gotten it to the point where you are going to live it. You're going to recognize the reality of it, and it's going to influence your life. So it's really a strong statement. And then he does what he normatively does. He appeals to them, hey, I'm doing this because you're beloved. I'm not on you. It's like a parent. 
or sometimes a preacher. I'm not on you as my child because I don't love you. Because I love you, I'm pressing. Because I love you, I'm exhorting. And because I love you, I'm going to challenge you to do three things. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Hear what? The word of truth. Do what? Be real slow as you open your mouth in response to perhaps the challenges, because that's what the first paragraph talks about. Slow to talk about that. Slow to talk about what you're learning in the word of truth. And most of all, slow to anger. Because anger does not achieve the righteousness of God, which is the goal. Right, so that's what first word I would circle in your verse is no. Perfect, active, imperative. You knew it, you continue to know it as a conviction, you believe it, and you ought to live like this. I also highlighted on my card, my beloved brethren, because this is out of love. I'm not on you because I don't like you or I have some control or authority complex. The third thing I would highlight is let everyone. Do you see the word everyone? Why did he say that? Because it's not for a special few. There are no exceptions and no exclusions. This is for everybody who's been changed by the word because the word of God is the only means by how anyone can change. This is good for everybody. So no exceptions, no exclusions. What's the first word after, well, not the word but, but next to that, verse 19, but because of that, as a consequence, it's a consecutive idea flowing out of that. Let everyone, do you see the word be? That's an imperative verb. It's a present active imperative, which means you need to do this and you need to do this actively, progressively, constantly, as a pattern of your life. You need to be this way. Patrick, this is the way I want you to be. Not just on Sunday at Grace Church when Talina's watching. Talene, sorry. Yeah, Talar. Talene's in the back probably, yeah. (laughs) Not just when she's watching, but this is the way you're to be. Be what? Quick. Circle the word quick. See, every word has meaning. It's verbally inspired. It's plenary, all of it. Every word matters. So you're going to circle the word quick, and this is what you're going to do. You're going to go, what's the meaning of the word quick? You're going to look it up. You may take your phone and go, hey, Google, tell me what the meaning of quick is. That's how hard this is. Rocket science. Quick. What is quick? Quick is fast. Okay? It's prompt. It's also when you're doing something that you do quickly, you do it fast, which means you're energized for it. It's not, hey, go clean your room. It's two hours later. They're halfway done their room. That's not quick. Or, hey, go clean your room, and it's an hour later till they get to their room. That's not quick. Quick is you do it quickly and you do it fast. Do what fast? Hear. Hear what? 
The word here means to listen and learn. Okay? It means what it means to gain perception with your ears. So you got to be hearing something. Contextually, and I've tried to make the case, what is it you're hearing? Not just good advice from your boss. Not just statistics about how the Dodgers did last night. Did they win? Did they? Five, five something, wasn't it? Five one. See, I heard that. That was information I gained, but that's not this. What do you hear? The word of truth that changed you. Okay, so you're going to circle the word quick and say, I've got to be fast to hear the word of truth. If I'm going to become a kind of fruit, first fruit that honors the Lord, I got to be fast at something. I got to be proactive at something. I have to be motivated and desirous of something that every time I have the opportunity, I will seek to hear the truth because it's the means of transformation. Verse 19 goes on to say, you're to be quick to hear, proactively seeking to listen and learn. And you're, on the other hand, and by the way, the word quick, only time it's used in the New Testament you're looking at. So it, it has a unique kind of flavor to it and a rare flavor to it. Number two, this word's used three times, twice in this verse. Be slow. Now, what is slow? Slow, by definition, here's Webster or some form thereof, Slow means that you are moving slower than the normative rate. Let me read it to you. Slow, moving at a low rate, measured, deliberate, unhurried, not quick or fast, moving at less than normal speed. That's a good definition. So why does he talk about speaking? Because speaking too fast inhibits hearing. You can't learn when you're talking. That's why you have two ears, one tongue. Here's what the Jews would say. The Jews would say, speech is silver, silence is golden. If you were a disciple of Pythagoras, you spent the first five years as a follower saying what? Nothing. You were prohibited from talking because you're supposed to be learning. This is saying, basically, take the time to learn. The Greek word means to deliberate. The Greek word means to meditate. The Greek word means take it in and think about it before you ever talk about it. We discovered, unfortunately, recently that we have some form of mold in our home. You know, we have sickness in our house, and the doctor that's helping us said, we got to do this mold test because we don't want to do all this work to help your family get better, and so you're going to do this normative mold test. So we get the results this week. I'm living in a moldy house, according to the test. Does that sound like good news to you? No, it's not good news, especially for sick people. Some of you can process mold fine. Apparently, I can. Maybe I'm compromised, and you know it, and I don't. But clearly, it's not good when you're a compromised person physically. Anybody want to guess what we quickly did when we got the report? 
Googled mold, mold remediation. What do you do? How deadly is it? How much is it going to cost to deal with it? You know what I am? I'm a mold expert. (laughs) Karen and I have had conversations like we're saying to each other, you know what? All we have is three days of intense internet Googling, article reading. Guess what we're not? Qualified to conclude. We're also not qualified to make a decision, especially if it costs time or money. You know what I need? Time. I need more input. I need somebody who knows more than I know to help me understand to the point where I will do what I need to do. Do you get it? So travel back to the Word of God that's designed to transform you. You're hearing it. You're sucking up. You may even be crisis-driven like I am. And sometimes that's when we get into the Bible, when we're crisis-driven. But this is meant to be an everyday reality driven by the fact that I know that change comes through the word of truth. And I can't just draw conclusions, start making decisions and talking about it until I have time to deliberate and meditate. I got to be slow saying, I don't know what I don't know. I'm just a learner. Sometimes we are so fast, we read a book, we hear a sermon, we go out like, dude, I'm an expert now. This is saying real Christians take their time to make sure they learn and they keep their mouth shut more than they have it open so that they can hear because the hearing is essential for transformation. Now, in this context, you have the next statement. Isn't it a bit bizarre that he goes and be slow to anger? You want to tell me what I would circle the word anger? You already know what the word slow is. What's anger? Anger is to be annoyed, frustrated. I'll read you what Webster would say. Is a strong feeling of annoyance and hostility, displeasure. This is anger now. Aroused by wrong and apparent injustice. Miriam's dictionary, strong feelings that make you want to hurt someone or be unpleasant because of something unfair, unkind, painful, or bad. Anger is a reaction to a perceived injury or an injustice. Now, in context, this could go two ways. What is the first paragraph about? Difficulty. Who's behind the difficulty? God is. It's possible, contextually, that my anger is directed to the good God who was trying to do a good thing through a difficult thing, and I'm hacked about it. And if I'm angry or annoyed, my anger, in this case, is towards him. Not fair, not right, unjust, I'm doing the best I can, I'm in the ministry. Why? Why? Mold? Give me a break could be that. Or it may be my good friend Nathan who sees me not liking the mold saying, Harry, you know, you need to see this as a good thing out of a bad situation. You know, God does good things out of hard places. You know, Harry, what you need to do, count it all joy. You know what that does for my heart potentially? You got to be kidding (laughs) 
Go be somebody else's friend. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's you're, you've got people. Or it's the temptation thing. Man, you're really struggling. I keep cycling through these patterns of fleshly behavior. My attitude's awful. I'm looking at stuff I shouldn't look. I'm compromising. I, and, and my friend Nate shows up again, and he goes, Harry, you can't be doing that. That behavior is incongruous with what it means to be a Christian. And you know what? I don't want to hear it. And it hacks me off. It could be contextually that this anger is the consequence of the difficulty, inward or outward, that I'm dealing with and the way I'm responding to the sovereign who did it, ordained it, or the buddy or the Christian who's helping me through it, and it doesn't feel like help because it hurts, doesn't feel fair. And what does James say? You restrain yourself, Harry. You don't rush in a reactionary response, even though you're a bit raw. You're slow to anger. Because when you act out of anger, something is absolutely prohibited. You know what that something is? The righteousness that God desires to produce in you. Anger never produces the righteousness of God. Righteousness, dikaios. It has the idea of aligning you with the command or the law of God that reflects the will of God. So when I'm in anger, I forfeit the intention of God. I sabotage the purpose of my redemption. Anger is a growth killer. And anger is about as natural to our humanity as any kind of emotion because it reflects perceived hurt. And hurt justifies retaliation. James says, hey, you be really slow about that because that never achieves the work of God. You see what we just did? We worked our way through a pair of verses highlighting words defining those words and seeking to apply an application to those words. Let me give you the application since we're at the end of our time that came out of mine. And here's my verse. So I use colors. If you like crowns or highlighters, it works. But this was yesterday's work on this verse. And here's my applications, give you an idea, because you observe to to, to hear so that you can diligently do. Do we have that? So Here's a question you need to ask yourself. If this is true, how does my life change tomorrow? How is Monday different than Sunday because of Sunday's meditation? Application. What is going to be different for me? Number one, I need to define and highlight potential sources of where I can hear the Word of God. So I want to find out other resources where I could potentially benefit from the hearing of the word of the truth that changes me? Where can I proactively access them? Uh, Back in the middle of June, I decided I'm old and I got to get fit. So committed to being in the fitness center more often than normal. So I'm on an elliptical nearly every day. Elliptical, you know what that is? Something that doesn't cause old joints to hurt. Okay, but causes your heart to, to beat and your lungs to work. 
and I'm 25, 30 minutes on the elliptical. And typically, I'm listening to something that motivates me to take another elliptical step. Here's an application. So, Harry, what would happen if you put an audio sermon on during the elliptical workout? Or you would listen to an audio Bible on my elliptical workout. So for me, tomorrow, and you're welcome to hold me accountable, I'm going to shift what it is I use to motivate me on the elliptical. Because a smart Christian who wants changed by the word of truth is quick to find it and to hear it. Three, I'm going to meditate before I start talking. I'm going to talk less and listen more. I've got a bunch of verses for you on that. I'll just read you a couple. Ecclesiastes 5.2, do not be rash with your mouth. Let not your heart be hasty to utter anything before God. Proverbs 10.19, in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. Talk a lot, you're going to fall into sin. 13.3, Proverbs, he that keepeth his mouth keeps his life. Proverbs 15.2, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge right, but the mouth of fools just pours out foolishness. So I'm going to talk less, going to think more. Number four, I'm not going to argue and get frustrated with the unenlightened views of others. I put a smiley face by that because I'm listening. I got an angle on it, and you're going to deal with me on it, and I'm going to give margin because I, you have a propensity to go, I know better than you. Be patient with that. Never get angry with words or the ways of God. That's an application. Slow to anger with regard to God. Some people have this theory, I, I can be angry with God. I can just tell him exactly what I think. You know what the truth is? He can handle it. Here's another truth. He doesn't deserve it. And it doesn't promote his purposes in it. So one, it dishonors him. Two, it harms you. So don't get angry with the ways and work of God. God's sovereign. He's good all the time. And he does good through not good. Mold is not good. But a good God wants to do good. If you're with me, would you say amen? All right, we're out of time. I hear the natives gathering. Listen, welcome back to Cornerstone. Next week, we're going to plow through this some more. Next week, I'm going to give you a full-blown day and night application of the tool we just began. So if you will help me, bring your three-by-five card back, okay? Put it in your Bible, give it to somebody responsible, and we'll talk about it next week. Let's pray together. Father, you're a great giver every day. You leverage difficulty to do good things. Help us to be quick to hear every day, throughout the day. Let us be thoughtful learners, careful in terms of what we say and how quickly we presume we know. And God, above all, keep us from being frustrated, annoyed, and angry, either at you or others, in an effort to become what you want us to be. Lord, help us to be humble and gentle to the glory of God in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,
Amen. Have a great day.